What is going on? Welcome to the Land Podcast. This is Jake Hofer, and this week we have a great episode with Sam from Whitetail Partners, and he's talking about all things whitetail habitat and also what to consider when buying a piece of ground, some things he's learned over the years, some projects that make a big impact, and what you should be looking for when buying land or maybe even objectively looking at the land you hunt already. Something that we haven't talked about here on the podcast before, so you guys are going to enjoy it. Before we get into this episode, though, I want to say the goal is to help 100 people buy their first piece of dirt, and there are a couple ways to be involved with this. Number one, if you are in the state of Illinois and you are looking for assistance, I'd be more than happy to help you as a buyer's agent. Number two, if you're looking to get connected with someone I would personally do business with, I would be happy to make an introduction. If I don't know anyone in the area you're looking, I will tell you. And number three, if you just simply learn something from this podcast, let me know. I want to add you to the spreadsheet. I want to say I haven't checked it here very recently, but we got to be pretty darn close to 50 out of 100. So we're almost halfway there. So just want to say thank you to everyone. Hope you guys have a great holiday. Merry Christmas. Until next time, here we go. Sam, welcome to Land Podcast. How's it going? Oh, great, Jake. I appreciate you having me on. Yeah, certainly. I have uh, been following your content here for a, a while and uh, wanted to get you on and talk all about land, some of the projects that you've done over the years, and uh, really excited to, to dive into all this. But before we do that, uh, take a moment to introduce who you are. Well, thanks again. Yeah, Sam Billhorn with Whitetail Partners, and our business is focused on uh, helping landowners uh, transform their property for whitetails. We uh, usually come in perhaps even before the purchase, help people buy land, but a lot of times they've acquired land or they've held it for some time uh, to come in and consult on that property to help them achieve their goals in hunting. And, and that varies widely uh, by landowner, but uh, coming in, making a design and a plan and uh, helping them push forward to turn their property into something that uh, they've desired to have perhaps for many years. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> Excuse me. Yeah. And so what's, what's kind of your background too, to what got you yeah. to where you're at today or what inspired you? Well, it's a number of things. Um, so I've been uh, in a professional career for 20 years and my background is in engineering and consulting and I uh, have a degree in engineering from years ago and, and all those things. So I'm a, I'm a logical minded person and, and very spatially oriented. You know, I love designs and plans and uh, all those things, getting into those details. Um, I also have always enjoyed teaching, you know, professionally also I I, I work with training people and teaching them uh, the skills of the trade and some of those things. So I, I enjoy the interaction with people. Uh, and then for my entire life, uh, being in rural land and and whitetail hunting and a passion for all those things, the culture, the people, the process, the you know the hunt year round and all that, combining all those things together, uh, develop developing a passion for uh, properties and. Uh, maximizing the potential they have through all of these things we do with whitetail uh, habitat development and uh, the designing and all that. So that all kind of culminated over the last uh, decade or so. And about five years ago, had the concept of moving forward to uh, help others. Um, you know, as that, as that often goes, you help friends and then you help friends of friends. And before long, people you don't know are, are calling you to do this. And that's when you realize you have a business. Yeah, uh, and, and that's how it that that's how it started off. So I I've been helping people for a number of years now uh, through Whitetail Partners uh, clients really across the country. Uh, though I've been focused primarily in the Upper Midwest out of Wisconsin. That's really cool. And so I assume was there what was Project One for you, where you're yeah from start yeah. to finish. Yeah, great question. So. Um, and I actually made reference to this. I just did a post recently. Uh, uh, really, it's been a good friend of mine, a guy I've known in, uh, through just a, a local community guy that uh, has a great business here locally. And uh, he and I talk all the time about business development and this and that. But And he was getting into uh, buying a property. Well, and he bought one and, and talking about hunting. And I, I, you know, he learned, he knew my background. And uh, we talked about it. I said, yeah, I'll come out and and do that. And and this was more like that first, uh, the first job you have uh, where you're trying to develop all those plans and deliverables and all that. Because in the past, when you're doing it for nothing for people, you're you're doing some simple sketches and whatnot. But I took it. I took that as an opportunity to really develop a business model and walk him through that process. Mm -hmm. um, you know, as we were talking before we started recording, I 
I am a process driven person. And basically what I wanted to do at that point was lay out each step uh, through that entire process of meeting him, understanding his goals, the land, you know, what his plans were for that land long term and hunting goals and, and helping him develop proper expectations. That's a big thing I talk about with people is making sure that they understand what that land could do for them. And anyway, going through that process, uh, meeting him on site, spending a lot of time at that property. I think that first one he had was 120 acres and uh, developing that full plan. Right from the beginning, I jumped into doing those designs. I do the 3D modeling at Google Earth, uh, just something I'm familiar with. And I think it, it represents the concept so well and is interactive and all those things. Uh, and, and walked him through it as I would any other uh, client and have since then. Obviously, those processes I continue to refine, but <laughs> sure, uh, it was... It was really enjoyable and a big success. And, and he actually killed a, a great buck that first year there at that property. But what I was saying when I first started was that uh, that buck was, um, that or this year rather, he he gained a new property in, in an exceptional area. And he went and shot his first booner, which was just an awesome joy because that property he bought in late winter, designed it in spring, wow. built it in summer, and he shot his buck this fall. Uh, so that was a that was a big reward for him and and for me to be a part of it. Yeah, that I I assume that's almost the pinnacle of your line of work. I mean, that's I mean every it job is. or every task has man, this would be amazing. And that uh, to see that come to fruition, it's got to be really rewarding. Right on, and and you know some might think it's a transaction of come to the property, make a plan, give a report, and see you later. And I I've never been like that. I I enjoy getting text calls and continuing that communication with my clients who really become friends over time. You know, we mm -hmm. uh, correspond just, you know, casually and joking and texting these things and, and to, to have that community develop around this. And that, that was something that was really important to me as I look to the next stages of my career and all the, these things is I wanted to be uh, to have a community in this space, both in in the recreation I love of hunting and property um, and in the industry as well. So, yeah, mm -hmm. but then to keep those and get, you know, keep those contacts, develop that, those relationships and then see that pay off for them. Uh, yes, that that is the goal. Yeah, that's really exciting. So right now it's December 20th. And <clears throat> what I would challenge you is to share what people should be thinking about right now, mm -hmm. whether just what should what should be on the forefront of people's mind right now? Maybe sure. it's going into spring projects. Maybe it's. Um, from a hunting tactic standpoint, but what right now, what is the most important thing to be thinking about right now? At this time, you know, with assuming seasons ending people, once, once you're done hunting and you lay down the bow or the gun for the last time is to go and just crawl across your property, uh, just to go and thoroughly understand it because all that sign that you're looking at now is relevant to the past several months, you know, the hunting season. So we know that deer use landscape over the course of the year very differently. And it's important to consider what is that relevant sign. If you're looking at sign in, you know, the summer or early fall and wondering what's going on, it may be good information at that time, but the best sign you can look at, at is right now. So I always encourage people, and you made reference of it before with the checklist. I have my December checklist out there on uh, social media. Anybody wants to check that out, but that's one of the key things I say is get out there and look at your property. So looking at, you know, how are, how are deer using it? Bedding, mm -hmm. food, travel. I talk a lot about travel in my designs and plans and, uh, you know, how, how is that functioning on the landscape? And then be critical of it. Is this productive? Is, is there a movement that uh, you, can, you can take advantage of that you're not currently doing? Uh, it, mm -hmm. Or is it something you need to change because there's bedding in an area you don't want bedding by an area you want to have a stand location and whatnot, or you're deficient in something. You know, if you're looking around and you're not finding beds and and you look up and see a closed canopy timber, there's there's some work you need to do there. So it's mm -hmm. it's being critical of how are the deer there, you know, why are they there and why aren't they there? Yep. Uh, and, and just putting those pieces together. So that's the framework of what to be looking for now. And that that corresponds to in our business to what we're doing this time of year is this is prime time to be going out on properties and evaluating them because when we're making those designs, we're seeing the best information possible. And I really think that you gotta be looking at these properties in the winter time, because if you're waiting until after green up, you're missing so much of that yes. uh, co context of what's what's happening on your land. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, I agree. Well, I mean, it's it's a lot harder to tie to try to digest when that spring green. Uh, you're gonna miss stuff. I mean, I feel mm-hmm. at least I am when I go look at a farm in the spring versus you know right mm-hmm. now to February, early March. Um, that's those are all really good things. I think your point of looking to see what, if there are beds, awesome, great. Where are they going to feed, and how could you possibly intercept them? And then also, mm-hmm. there are no beds. Well, it's pretty clear that we need some cover. What in in your experience too? I mean, obviously it's different for every area, every region. But on average, I mean, what's typically the most deficiency of the farm? So is it typically lack of food, lack lack of good food, lack of cover? I mean, what is usually the easiest thing to fix? Sure, uh, I think the easiest thing to address and fix. Um, it, it I I am going to point to food on this one from the standpoint of predictable and uh, relatable food. So. If you're looking at your agricultural fields as your food source, you know those are ever changing, not only seasonally or within the season, but also annually. And the uh, how the deer interact with that uh, makes it difficult. So I'm not talking about wholesale changing, you know, tens or hundreds of acres of uh, open field development and needing to do food plots, but some some basics of getting fall food out there. Uh, is really the anchor for a lot of designs and getting that uh, established so that you can have predictable movement on your property. It's quick, it's, you know, food, travel, cover, you know, those are the big three I'm going to talk about most of the time. I would say the travel we could certainly work on to try and create pinch points and hunting locations. But if you don't have somewhere they're going, uh, it's difficult to uh, try, yeah, try try and make that predictable movement. <clears throat> yeah, I think that's fair. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, yeah, I think that's really fair. I would say, what are some other things that people should be thinking about right now in terms of implementing for spring projects? Because I know some of this stuff, for instance, maybe ordering trees or ordering different types right. of seed, you probably need to know what you're going to do. I mean, what are some things that landowners or aspiring landowners should at least jot down and say, okay, I need to yeah. get organized on this? So I, I break up, well, I'll call it, let's call it habitat season, right? So we have, mm-hmm. as soon as we're done hunting, habitat season starts. Mm-hmm. And, and in my mind, you know, that does go all the way to hunting, but the primary prime time is until green up. So mm-hmm. I'm going to break that in half and say this first part is planning. You know, this first, the first efforts we have are to figure out what we need to do most. If we're diving in and working on an isolated project without eyes for the whole property, uh, we may be working in the wrong spot. So as I said before, the scouting and, and prioritizing and all those things, and yes, then making those plans and priorities. So you mentioned it, uh, bare root trees. You know That's something that's critically important on most properties. And if you aren't getting those orders in by January, you probably aren't getting your trees, or at least good quality trees, mm-hmm. um, depending on species and supplier and all. Yeah, yeah, all, all of that stuff. Yeah. Um, and, and by the way, for those who aren't familiar with bare root trees, check them out. There's uh, awesome distributors all over the place and uh, great products to get, you know, massive amounts of trees going on your property. And I'm not talking the, you know, six inch little seedlings that a lot of people think of. I'm talking two, three, four footers that, you know, you can get rooted and really have them take off pretty quick. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Where, I mean, I typically, last year I ordered a bunch and I got them from the Illinois uh, State Nursery. Do you have any other areas or uh, websites that people should jot down? Sure. The one I work with locally in Southern Wisconsin is Sustainable Wildlife Habitats. And their website is is just that, sustainablewildlifehabitats.com. Great. Uh, Mike Blackburn is a fantastic guy and I love working with him. I don't, uh, I have no sort of... uh, uh, sponsor relationship or anything like that. I just direct people to him. Mike's a great guy and a great business. Mm-hmm. Um, there are others certainly within the state of Wisconsin. There's two or three more. I just can't uh, think of the exact names off the top of my head. And then I'm sure there are a variety throughout uh, the upper Midwest. If you just want to do a simple research and figure mm-hmm. out what they have or compare their products and pictures and those sort of things to the sustainable wildlife habitats, one that I mentioned uh, to to find someone locally. Uh, shipping is a big part of this or can be a, a huge thing. So don't plan on shipping them. Try and find somebody close because, you know, they brought them in on a semi. Uh, you don't want to have to pay to somebody to put them in a box and send them to your house. Mm-hmm. That's good advice. What kind of talking about bare root seeds or bare, mm-hmm. bare root uh, plants and everything else, what are what do you typically end up planting the most on some of these tracks? I mean, do you have a, a core list of, oh, we have I do. To, we have I do. To. Actually, 
And, and a question like this, I'll just make reference of it because it ties into uh, the report and really it's become a how-to manual that we give clients. And that is every subject, this question is, there's a full page listing of our go-to species for this for different applications. So mm -hmm. I'm gonna take a more of an upland setting on this uh, question, but a lot of times, and we, we have a lot of hardwood timber that we're working with in Southern Wisconsin, and it's supplementing that with a lot of conifer species. So it, for screening and cover, uh, I really do like Norway spruce. Uh, you can do some white pines, though the deer, you really got to protect them as they're getting rooted or you'd be in trouble that way. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, uh, Norways are great in open field habitat to make screens quickly. Um, you can supplement that with a red pine to get uh, even a quicker screen, but those red pines are quickly going to die off on the bottom. Mm -hmm. um, white spruce, I like using. They're a slower grower, but a denser screen um, on, the, on the lower part. So I'll oftentimes pair a Norway with a um, with a white. And then I really like using white spruce in the timber to supplement bedding areas and uh, corridors. Uh, deer, and when I say corridors, I'm talking deer travel routes through the timber. A lot of times in those areas, we've done uh, cuttings, both felling of trees and uh, hinge cutting to make a lot of side cover. That's a good immediate uh, burst, but supplementing that, getting some bare root uh, white spruce going in those areas and just littering them in. I mean, plant them like a bird would. Mm -hmm. and uh and getting that going that'll really make for a thicker uh travel route and bedding area later on and the final one i throw in there are some cedars a lot of times i like to use those in uh in bedding areas on on hillsides with fairly steep slopes but still you have some decent bedding areas like a bench and things like those um, those are some mm -hmm. of my go-to's in those applications okay yeah that's fair what about uh do you have any favorite hardwoods that you like to plant on most of these parcels too mm-hmm well, a lot of times in, in dealing with hardwoods, um, a lot of timber in in the areas that I'm working with, people have let it go a long time. It's 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 pretty mature. Mm -hmm. There's not as much uh, timber harvest as there may have been in the past. And a lot of times we're starting off with mature timber. So one of the first things to do is to assess that stand, uh, work with a forester, uh, get some you know get a few opinions on uh, not only just the habitat side but managing your timber. Uh, and perhaps starting off with a cut, you know, we're not necessarily going in there and doing um, uh, plantings in these existing timber areas. I'll get to open field in a minute. But the those areas, we're going to perhaps uh, thin that stand and then supplement back, depending on the exposure, the aspect of the, the side slope that you're talking. Uh, I, I've always liked white oaks. I think that uh, as far as acorn quality and long-term uh, longevity is good, a little more resistant on oak wilt and the reds and and going to the acorns and all that. But I'm getting very regionally specific too. Mm -hmm. um, as far as open field habitat, I would say a diversity. You know, if you're unless you're looking to have, uh, and, and this gets back to goals too. All these things I'm saying are need to be keyed back to the person and their goals. Uh, you know, if your goal is investment and long-term timber harvest and some of those things, obviously you're going to have a different perspective, but if it's habitat and setup for hunting and those things, um, really a mixture of all kinds of stuff. Uh, and, and I'm even talking some more softer hardwoods, like, a even a box alder maple, some of those things just to get, uh, browse and, uh, different growth patterns and side cover. And then we mix it a lot too. So we'll put in, uh, some of those conifer species I mentioned right along with it. And what I'm talking, all this what I'm talking about is a open field pocket to try and develop bedding uh, within, you know, an existing open field. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's it's pretty cool. I mean, that's the excitement of your job, I'm sure, is you uh, every every situation is slightly different, but you're still trying yeah. to solve the same problem. What typically what's the small in your opinion, what's the smallest land project that creates the biggest impact? Oh, that's a good one. I think. Uh, you know, I, I haven't talked too much about travel, so I'll, I'll reference that. Um, starting off looking beyond the property boundaries. So, and this could be a very small property. I mean, you can even, I'm even talking about a 10 acre property right now. You could look at uh, what is, what you have in a small property, you got to look beyond your borders. What are the bigger, what's going on here on a, you know, macro scale? Where are, what is deer travel look like? I did a post just earlier this week on, a little odd shaped piece of property that um, was it just grabbed a piece of if you want to picture this a side a side of a, from a ridge down to a bottom so a hillside 
that was part of a two mile long ridge system. You know, it cover, uh, hardwood cover and a ridge system. Well, looking at deer travel, then we say, okay, they're, they're going to be traveling on this major route. They happen to be traveling through this property for a few hundred yards. Well, I'm going to look at that hillside and, and first off, make some uh, general assumptions that there's usually going to be a travel route near the top of the ridge, and there's usually going to be a travel route near the bottom of the ridge. The steeper uh, slope in between, maybe there's some secondary travel routes, but um, those are ones we're going to probably block off. So in this design, what I did is we're going to focus a travel route on the bottom of that uh, drainage and, and then near near the top of the ridge. And doing that by cuttings and plantings and really trying to trash up most of the movements, you know, trying to block those movements except for those. So what I'm describing here is really bottlenecking, uh, funneling deer so that they're on one or two routes through your property. When you have a smaller property, you probably have that opportunity to do it. And a lot of times, if you don't have bigger property, food plots, all these things, you are going to be more focused on that pass-through movement. Perhaps you have a small kill plot that's a part of the system I'm describing, but uh, or other things like a water hole and mock scrapes and some of those things we do to accentuate travel. But that is the type of setup we want to have on that small property to take advantage of that movement because you may only have eight or 10 acres, but you're taking advantage of a travel pattern that's part of a 800 acre piece of ground. That's a great point. Yeah. I think maximizing that potential of, of that parcel and just bottlenecking it because especially in a hardwood setting too, I imagine, I mean, where I'm at here in Illinois, there's not those giant hardwood tracks really don't exist here. Yeah. So I, I can only uh, have a little bit of empathy of, they got to be pretty random when there's no constriction of where they need to go. I mean, obviously they have the train features, but uh, enhancing that maybe has to be really powerful. And and I think one of the things to keep in mind too, the example I gave is to that type of of uh, terrain and mm-hmm. and habitat, bigger picture. But yeah, so you know, you're t- I'm talking mm-hmm. something that might be more of a 50-50 mix on timber cover or even higher on. Uh, on, the timber. The, on the timber the, and and but to put it to like a 90 10 that you might be dealing mm-hmm. with in southern illinois you know then you got to look and say what do i have that i that is the most limited resource here and in you if you have that 10 acre track of cover that's in an ocean of cornfields then you're going to approach it differently and say okay i need to make a few different wind setups because th- this is betting now this isn't mm-hmm. about long distance travel like i just described in the prior example this is a, you know, deer are going to stuff themselves into this piece of cover. How do I hunt it without screwing it up? Because you blow that big buck out, um, you're going to have trouble getting them to come back. Yeah. Yeah. That's, and that's the fun thing about whitetails too, is there's <clears throat> every, uh, every farm is going to have uh, different problems, different solutions. Uh, but to your point, it's just figuring out how to maximize it. So in, in your essence, or the essence of your thought is basically, with the least amount of work is just figuring out how to maximize that is whether that is enhancing travel or maybe just increasing effectiveness of getting in and out without scaring the deer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If you're looking at, and like a, to bring it back to that comment I said before, what is the limited resource here? Or what is the way that the deer are using this property, you know, or this piece of property and work to enhance that and, and create hunting opportunities with it. So those two thoughts mm-hmm. come together um, toward that solution. Yeah, for sure. Any other small slam dunk right hook land projects that are that are easy and make a big impact? Well, I'll just add on to the travel concept or even that small um, uh, wooded parcel or you know woodlot in in a, in a large area of agriculture is to say at that hunting setup to make that thing bulletproof. And what I mean by that is, and all of my all of my hunting setups are. Um, primarily one spot. Sometimes there's a secondary shooting lane, but I am I am hyper-focused on making that spot uh, the spot that you're going to have your opportunity. Simple example I'll, I'll give of my buck this past year, um, shot on October 25th, was uh, he was moving in on a corridor, and I saw him at 60 yards maybe coming in, and I knew that the best shot I had was 20 yards in front of me at the mock scrape, and he was he he would come to that point and he'd either have to 
let that mock scrape hit him in the face or he'd have to step around it. Mm-hmm. And I, though I had my, he passed through my secondary, one of my secondary lanes first, and I maybe could have made a shot there. I might have had to stop him. I wasn't going to take that risk. I waited for him to come into the box scrape and double lunged him. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that that's the confidence you have in creating these type of setups is that you want to make sure that you're, you know, the spot that they're going to, and you're going to take advantage of that. Um, and the details that come in with that, whether it's a mock scrape or a water hole, those are two common things that we use in these applications. But then the corridor setup itself, the hinge cuts, the shooting lanes, the way you have it set up, you know that there's an area about, you know, four by four yards that they're going to be standing in uh, as they pass through. Mm-hmm. Yeah, ma- making that mousetrap bulletproof, basically, right. is what it comes down to. Now, yeah, that's, that's, right. that's a great illustration. So a lot of people here listening to this either own land or aspiring to buy land and something that i saw on your website is you kind of help you help folks maybe take a little bit of emotion out of it in reality Mm -hmm. that's probably what your role is taking emotion out of it and looking at things objectively Mm -hmm. but what are when buying a farm what's something that would just automatically make you run the other direction it is a (laughs) deal breaker for sam yeah one of the things i i really struggle with on private ground and i would say this would have to be a decent sized parcel you know 30 acres plus would be it, to, to have at least some piece of ground, you can develop an anchor of a food plot. Uh, some properties I see, and this this is more common right now because with land prices uh, having gone up and some of those things, people are uh, long uh, lived farms with you know that have this mix of timber and, and tillable. They're splitting off their timber, you know, so they'll reparcel it and and sell a chunk of land that's the timber. Well. of that ground has some sort of slope on it that is the reason that there's timber there. You know, if Mm -hmm. it had a suitable slope for uh, planting in soils, it it would have been. (laughs) And so I look at a property like that and say, if if I can't find a square inch of ground that isn't somewhat, you know, a a suitable slope, and it doesn't need to be a tabletop, Mm -hmm. but, you know, to be a slope that we can plant some, some plots on, that's going to be difficult because as I talked about earlier, that uh, anchor of food in your setup uh, is really important. Now, if you have, I will go back to saying that this, the example I gave earlier is a, is a good one to illustrate this is if you have a smaller property, you are perhaps looking at that bedding or that travel, those two things we talked about in the examples that maybe you can get away with and say, well, I'm just not going to have food plots here. Or maybe it's this thin little, you know, tiny little kill plot, which is fine. You can do that on that property, but you know, that 100% really, you know, Rough diverse ground. topography. Yeah, that's tough. Mm-hmm. So typically, so that's interesting. I, I wouldn't have guessed that. So basically, really rough ground that maybe doesn't have as much room for development in terms of uh, using, you know, because you're using food as the anchor and you're in a lot of your strategy from the sounds of it. So if you can't do that, then maybe this property doesn't have the utmost potential. Yeah. And, and again, it's about, about the amount of ground too, because... Mm-hmm. If you're buying a 10 acre parcel, you know, guys got a starter property, 10, 20 acres, whatever. And, and you, you may not have enough ground to do all of the features. You know, you're going to have a what I would call a partial plan mm-hmm. in that you're trying to take advantage of. It's not just bedding, travel, food, or, or you're not getting all of that. You might be getting just part of that, which is which is OK. I, I don't want uh, to discourage people from getting into that type of property because somebody could buy you know, six, eight, 10 acres of ground and start to learn about habitat and do improvements and uh, enjoy hunting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I think, and I've said this a bunch on this podcast too, so people are probably sick of me saying it, but a lot of times everyone wants to start with that big property, but you're going to learn so much with property one, two, and three that mm-hmm. by you get to property four, you know what you really value oh, yeah. and what's very important where if you start a property four and miscalculate, that's a, this is a bigger, bigger mistakes to basically just live with. So that that's what I would say to that. So I think that's good advice. What about anything else that really just gives you the heebie-jeebies and you're like, I oh, know, just keep keep looking. You know, there's so many tools in the toolbox that I I, I often tell people and, and we'll make reference to this in, in, in evaluating properties. I have a 60 point checklist I go through with people to help them understand is that property a good fit for them. And it's not just hunting. Probably only half the list is about hunting mm-hmm. um, is to understand that you're never going to be able to check every box. I've never seen a piece of property that checked every box. And if it was, uh, I would say it was several, several hundred acres. 
and it wouldn't check my box of efficiency. So in <laughs> other words, you had to buy so much ground to get these things. And in my uh, experience, I'd rather own several smaller properties than one really large one. Interesting. What is the threshold in your mind? So if there's a 60 point checklist, does it have to get to a 50% grade? No. So what I would, what I, yeah, no, that's good. And in fact, uh, I, I'm still experimenting with it, but I just can't make it like an algorithm is, yeah. is to score each one, weight each one. And I've done that. Uh -huh. But at the same time, I would say it to this is there are certain ones on there that are deal breakers that you just are done. And th that list may be different for each person. It's really important to understand that it's it, this is uh, so much an individual decision that all I can do is say, here is the topic and here's how to understand the topic. And now you need to introduce your perspective on it and say, am I okay with this or not? So really it's not a yes, no. It's mm -hmm. a, am I, am I okay with this? Because yeah. if you try to get yeses, you're going to look for a long time for a piece of ground. Yeah, I think that's that's very fair. And I think that's also to your point, maybe what's a deal breaker for me isn't a deal breaker for someone else and vice versa. That's right. That's yeah. right. So that that you know, is you, interesting. You you know, one of the top things on my list, I, I begin with a really wide perspective, big, big picture. And you know, it's about developing what is this for? You know, for some people that's trophy that is purely number one, with second being far away, is trophy buck hunting. Well, you might be needing to drive six, eight, 10, 12, whatever hours to get to that property to accomplish that goal. You know, but if if second, if number two was to have a family cabin and retreat for the weekends, you know, and ha and have those be one and two, you're already out of alignment because, you know, the family's not going to drive 12 hours to go hang out at a cabin for a day or two, you know. So I think it's important to understand those big picture things. Otherwise, uh, those are some of the reasons why people uh, turn around and sell a property pretty quickly because they realize that it didn't fit them and their lifestyle and the things that they wanted to accomplish with that purchase. Mm -hmm. You know, with being close to the end of the year, I came across this piece of content that I thought was pretty interesting. It was Warren Buffett's strategy for setting goals. You write down 25 goals, then you go back a day or two later, and then you rank those 25 goals and you cross out all the other 20 goals. So you are only moving forward with five. And this would right. be almost an identical situation where if it was to your point, trophy deer and family, well, then you're going to have to either buy, you know, a larger track or, you know, this figuring out what exactly is important to you. But I think that would be, um, you know, maybe boil it down to these are the five really important things and anything else is a bonus. Yeah. Yeah. And that's why I said, as you get further down on the list, which is a lot of the hunting stuff, by the way, mm -hmm. is you can work with this. We have a tool for that, you know, and that's where I come in with the planning and say, we can work around that. We can work with that. But if you don't want to drive there, we got a problem. You know, right. you can't kill them if you if you don't go there. Uh, right. so <laughs> that's fair. So you were mentioning, too, in terms of the importance of having a one acre Mm -hmm. uh, food plot. And you mentioned it kind of as the anchor movement. What are you typically planning on some of these two? Cause I'm sure someone thought that. What are we planting? Yeah. So what, yeah, you have one acre of food on a smaller parcel. What does that look like? Well, it's going to vary depending on what else is around. So, you know, depending on the, uh, mixture of the habitat all around, is there other browse support and this and that? Because if, if, for example, you're planting it in a super cover rich your cover heavy environment with not a lot of browse you better plant something that's going to withstand a lot of browse you know maybe that's a, a clover alfalfa or a, a, a rye even to you know and then soils come into this there's there's a lot of different factors that come in this but one of the other things i would say for a lot of properties is to have a diversity of planting throughout uh that that uh, plot and I would say that that plot should be mimicked in other places of your property. So you don't have a, I'll just use some generics here, a bean plot here and a, a radish plot there and a clover plot over there because uh, we want them to work similarly at, at the same, at different times of the year. So the diversity across the landscape is important, but we want to have that consistent from one plot to the next because we want to have different food is going to peak at different times and mm -hmm. we do that intentionally so we have good quality at you know various times of the season and we but we want to have all those things within that plot mm -hmm. uh, and that might be uh, mixing some blends or that might be 
doing strips of different uh, types of food throughout. Uh, I, I'm an advocate of having a good diversity throughout the plot for that reason of attraction throughout the season. Mm -hmm. um, but at the same time, uh, not across the property, different uh, species and different uh, plots. Mm -hmm. Is that ever a challenge doing or providing food throughout the entire year in such a small plot? Yeah. So the example you gave of one acre mm -hmm. um, and maybe if that's the only plot on the property, it, you know, there's so many um, variables here of the size of the property and the cover and the other food support and all those things. So, yeah, a one acre plot is a um, is a is a smaller plot yeah. in isolation in this example. Um, but I would probably do some creative things with it and having different different shapes throughout. I'm an advocate of having uh, travel through a plot, mm -hmm. bundling it by perhaps it's a blind location for especially for archery. Uh, you know, or, you know, or an open field mock scrape, having a real social area within the plot. And I want to have different ways to get that. I mean, generically, just to give it uh, on, for the audio here to give an example would be like kind of uh, spokes of a wheel. You know, you want to direct traffic to a social area where you have uh, opportunity for hunting, uh, as well as good camera location. And it's just enjoyable to watch those pictures come in and all that. Too. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, yeah, you, yeah, you don't have to tell me that. So I yeah. Definitely, yeah. Hold, hold on, hold on. My phone's going off here. Yeah. I, I just got an HD image of it. Actually, it's actually uh -huh. this, uh, this morning here. I'll show you of a, of a big deer. I've been oh, waiting. Yeah. That was this morning. And here we are. Believe? Nah, well, it, it, that was a, that was about an hour ago. <laughs> the, All right, the, the thought crossed my mind. Um, well, you, you can go get you can go get in that tree right now and get him when he's coming back this evening. So that was that's my thought as well. We'll see what happens here. But All right. what in your opinion, like how how good does a farm really have to be in order for you to buy it? Uh, yeah. So I pause. The reason I pause is okay. So this this checklist going through the head. So for me to buy it, I'm going to look at it and say. Um, you know, what are, what are the goals of this piece? So I already own a piece of ground and it's meeting some, some of my goals. And what I would look at in another piece of ground is, is that going to meet other goals? You know, as we, as we gave the example before is, uh, I like, I like to have, and I'm, I'm jumping ahead here on the content, but to say, I like to have multiple properties and to reach other goals. So, mm -hmm. you know, I might look at it and say, I like having this property, my property is about an hour and a half away. I would, it's good hunting. It's not great hunting. Okay. So uh, now people probably want to hear context on hunting application, but I'll just generalize it and say, I, I'd like to meet a goal of having, being able to sit in a tree stand five or 10 minutes from my house. So I might go buy a 20 acre parcel real close just to accomplish that goal to have a quick hunt and some of those things. Mm -hmm. uh, or if I want to have a, and this is what my, uh, one of my clients did, I met, talked about him earlier in the podcast, was he went and bought a property five hours away because his goal for that property was to be in exceptional hunting ground. And, you know, he was focused on region and neighborhood, you know, some of the big picture things to say, I want to buy ground there. And I could see doing that as well, having a property there where it's more work, you know, maybe you're living out of a hotel or a truck or whatever, and you're there to kill a big buck. And, and the focus would be different. So I, I would say I'm I'm looking to fill other goals with my next piece of ground. That's a good answer. Yeah. So, and then we, we talked about it here a little bit, but would you rather have 440s, 280s, yeah. or 1160? Yeah, I kind of beat you to the punch on that <laughs> one, but it's, uh, I would say I'd rather have, I'd probably even go down to 440s because I'm going to be hyper-focused on that 40 being right. Um, and, you know, I, I would say the, the easy, it's easier to find 280s maybe that, you could work with and and again the bigger the property the more opportunity you have to do different type of setups and all those things but you might have some more wasted ground so i'm going to be i'm going to try and be super efficient with a say a 40 in this example and have more of them mm -hmm. that'd be my approach is i i really think you can be uh, effective in developing what i'll call a full plan i referenced a partial plan before being maybe having a movement or a bedding area or some of these things, but to have all the components of a plan, uh, you can do that within a 40 acre property. And I would look to spread those properties out to have different places to go to meet different goals, um, different hunting seasons. You know, you get across different states. That's another thing to consider. Um, and then also a big one is different deer herds. You know, our property mm -hmm. for the first time in four years was down. Every year we've had 
increasing amount of age class on our bucks. This year, we took a small step down, which, you know, that's going to happen uh, throughout the course of time. I think it's reasonable to expect that. But, you know, maybe I would be peaking on a different property and be spending more time there uh, for that reason. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's, <laughs> I'm sitting here looking at that question myself. And I think personally, I'd probably go to 280s. Yeah, um, and I could see that's a that's a good answer too. For mm -hmm. go ahead, yeah, just just because you do have a little bit more room, but then mm -hmm. to the point where, if let's say one of those four forties were a tremendous, exceptional, amazing, and then you had two that were kind of okay with more uh, opportunity, and you had one that ended up kind of being a turd, then that well, one. Well, but I, maybe that that last one's by your house. Maybe that last one's exactly. by your house, and it, and it affords you the opportunity to go hunting with your children. Yep. And have and have uh, other, you know, invite guests and get more people into into the sport and, you know, the yep. convenience, you know, so there's there's so many different yeah. goals you a guy should have for his ground that we want to make sure to look at those goals and match them up. Yeah, I would agree with that. Really no really no wrong answer on that too. Depend because to your point, if it's a if it's individual if it's, a, if it's one guy that is only hunting and he only cares about killing giant deer, then the one one sixty might be one of the best opportunities there too. And that's right. This answer is going to vary by person. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Good problem to have. Uh, so <laughs> I don't know how many people are in that boat, but in your opinion, obviously you've walked on a lot of land. You've talked to a lot of people. You're probably solving a lot of problems of people that maybe they had an idea what they should be doing and they're, they're maybe doing it, you know, wrong based off of uh, how things have gone. So basically what do you think most whitetail habitat land managers are doing wrong right now in your opinion? What? Whitetail, uh, you're so you're talking to landowners. I, I would yeah. say um, the biggest fix that we come in and help people with is their access and hunting setups. So it's more glamorous to talk about food plots and hinge cutting and bedding areas and timber stand improvement and whatever other buzzword you want to throw out there. I look at it and say, you know, the efficiency and how you're hunting a property is key. So back to the you know, 440s, 280s, 160 question, you can be sloppier on a bigger property and get away with things. You need to be very careful on a small property. But, you know, one of the first questions we sit down and throw the, you know, the parcel map down on the table and talk about things is how can you get at this thing? You know, what are your points of access? And, oh, you know, people say, well, I come in here, I park here, I walk out the valley and get in the tree. Well, all of a sudden you're realizing that, you know, they just cleared out their property on that first hunt. And, and then you get talking with them and they re you realize that, okay, the neighbor to the north, we've got a great relationship with them. Oh, I'm sure he'd he, walk in access. No problem. I could do that. I never thought of getting in the truck and driving five minutes around the property and walking in from the north, but that's, I can see why that's a value, you know, so you're, it's, it's helping people realize how do you get at your uh, setups um, and then some of the, some other principles, some design methodology principles. So like uh, getting at the property from the outside. So outside in type of setups rather than inside out. Some properties lend themselves and force them to be more inside out. But if you're hunting around the perimeter and you're, you're more or less staying at that perimeter, hunting uh, movements that are more parallel within the property, uh, you are not having a huge impact to the majority of your acres. And that's efficiency, parcel efficiency is something I always look at and say, what percent of the ground are we putting, uh, you know, are we walking through or blowing our scent, making noise, those things, what percent of that ground are we doing that on? Well, you want to, you want that number to be as low as possible. And that allows you to have repeatable hunts to uh, see more deer, all of those things, because you're not blowing out your piece of ground, especially on smaller parcels. Um, and people realize that automatically then is, yeah, I've, I've been walking right through the heart of my property to get to a stand and I do it every day of the week and I don't pay attention to the wind. You know, some of those things are, that's the low hanging fruit that we help people fix, which really has nothing to do with habitat. Yeah. It's, I mean, everyone's been guilty of this at some point in their, in their hunting journey of just sure. like, uh, this is the way I got to do it. And then you get someone else like, why, why are you doing that? Well, that's a good question. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> you've been, well, you know, doing dumb stuff. Right on. Yeah. So what maybe are there any misconceptions that in the world of whitetails that you're just, you're kind of sick of, you can, you can just be transparent here. Misconceptions. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll drive on one that maybe we, uh, we covered a little bit before we got on was, uh, 
you know, this industry, this business, this uh, uh, subject matter of land improvement, um, there's a lot of voices out there. And, and some people are going to, you know, call one thing right, another thing wrong, and then vice versa from somebody else. And one of the things I enjoy doing is taking all of that and, and you know, I have my experience, I fold into it as well as say, we are 90% on the same page as to how deer use the landscape, um, how we can make improvements and how we can hunt deer. And I look at it and say, there's, there's a lot of great content out there. It's uh, perhaps quick and easy to understand how to create a feature. Um, but where it gets a little trickier is understanding how to pull all those pieces together, make a plan that uh, is compatible with the landscape and with your access and all those things. And, you know, that's, you know, that's where we come in is to say these, I'm not going to reinvent the wheel on this topic or how to do a cut of a tree uh, or whatever the subject matter is. I'm rather going to say these are the common things that make a lot of sense. And, you know, that's what I'm, I'm process driven. I've said that before here is just, you know, we go through and analyze these things to say, there's a sequence of tests. We want this plan to pass, uh, to, to be putting that landowner in a more uh, improved position uh, for his hunt. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's uh, sometimes in the, in the middle of the season, I just keep telling myself they're just dumb goats like the deer <laughs> and just as just uh, maybe that's a way just that feels like I, I get a slight edge on that but to yeah. that point the point being is we as humans probably overcomplicate a lot of this stuff and to your point everyone's in agreement on just about everything and everyone maybe has their own twist uh, maybe it's their region that's right. so that's right and I think that's fair good point very good point yeah but uh okay so is there any we touched about some other projects you've done in the past but maybe there's a farm maybe it's one the one you own or something else to where the farm was maybe a two and then after a lot of projects it's more of a seven or an eight i mean do you mm -hmm. have any stories about just truly transforming an entire property sure so what i would relate this to uh is back to the comment of you can get the you know the majority of your result from just a small percentage of your work you know that the 80, kind of that 80, 20 principle, yep. right? And uh, focusing, and many properties are like this, but I'll just give one as an example, was a, a property uh, in Northern Wisconsin that I designed this past year. Um, and, and their goal, and I, I'm big on what are the landowner's goals. Uh, their goal was to see deer and and try and have opportunities at more mature bucks. So Northern Wisconsin, you're you're getting into territory there that uh, is the habitat and nutrition and winters and all these things are less productive for big mature bucks. But they wanted to see more deer and, and have these opportunities. And they did not have good access on uh, the east side of their property. And and we, I, we identified that as some of the highest quality bedding. And, and they were trying to force their way into it. And really what I thought was they were screwing up and this gets back to some of the comments of access and so and so on, but screwing up uh, that habitat. And we made a design where they primarily came in from the west side, north, north, north and south, or southwest corner, northwest corner is how they're coming in. And there were days where if there was any sort of west component to that wind, they were not hunting. And they were really strict about that. They bought into giving that whole east side of the property back, which made that really high quality cover, which they couldn't get through easy. Um, good buck bedding opportunity and they weren't going through the middle of their parcel um and and really selecting their opportunities and by by not over hunting that property and the strategy that they came in with that um they the gentleman's son harvested a, a great buck i think it was probably a four-year-old uh this year and it was it was a huge success for them so that was a that was a big thing that they they said there were days they they couldn't hunt their property they went hunting some nearby public land and kind of uh, enjoyed those things, but their strategy that we brought into that was really important. Um, and the other thing I would throw back to this and say, not just strategy, but the setup itself, um, travel, uh, travel, travel, travel. I'm going to repeat on that is uh, understanding the routes those bucks have uh, and that they're going to take predictably because that was the setup that allowed it to happen. Uh, was that uh, was that buck coming in on a travel corridor? Yeah, that's that's really uh 
very important advice. And I think just as people look and prospect on different farms too, maybe that's one of the questions they should ask is just how are the deer using on the farm and also surrounding areas? Um, well, anything else here, Sam? I mean, I really appreciate your time and information. I think we, we covered a lot of, a lot of items here. Yeah. But uh, I'll open it up for you if you have anything else you'd like to share. Well, uh, not really on the subject matter. I think that, uh, you know, the, the concepts we've covered here have been a good introduction, perhaps on the more the planning side and development of a whitetail property. Um, but I, I really appreciate the opportunity to come on and share about our business with whitetail partners um, and the things that we're doing. One of the recent uh, opportunities we've had is to uh, look around and uh, see that we wanted to expand our operations. I'm you know, bringing in uh, four new regional guys here covering uh, Michigan, Ohio, Tennessee, and, and Georgia. So we have a nice footprint across the country here with uh, the four uh, team members that we brought on. And we're, we're in a position here now to help a lot more people uh, and also have more regional experts. You know, everything we're talking about here has a heavy dose of uh, upper Midwest in it, yeah. that we, the examples we gave. Um, but uh, all that to say is, um, we're really excited to help people out and uh, have a, a great setup to do that now. Awesome. Well, um, do you want to plug any of your uh, socials or website? Yeah. And uh, I'll plug them away in the description as well. I appreciate that. So if anybody wants to find us, just uh, hit up Whitetail Partners. Our website is whitetailpartners.com or just go on any uh, social media, Instagram, um, uh, Facebook and punch in Whitetail Partners. You'll see our main page uh, as well as our team member pages they have those states attached to them so uh, wisconsin ohio uh, michigan tennessee and georgia beer the, the local team members and i uh, go follow their individual pages there as well um, and thanks jake really appreciate the opportunity to be here yeah anytime man we'll have to do it again and uh you know as you mentioned the different seasons of habitat maybe we'll have to, right. to follow up on what else you have going on but i certainly appreciate it yeah thanks a lot